This is Carrie and Summer with the Say My Name podcast that gives a voice to women's stories. It's my story, it's your story, it's our stories of pain and healing. Welcome to the Say My Name podcast. This is episode three, Sarah Ruler's story. Sarah tells her story of growing up with scoliosis, becoming addicted to drugs and alcohol, then secretly using her father's pharmacy license to obtain controlled substances to sell illegally. She describes her incarceration and the revelations she received about herself through setting and achieving goals. She is a warrior and a healer. She is on the other side of pain and shares her continued story of recovering and healing with us. By the way, if you hear any distortion on this podcast, just know it's your higher self telling you that you're listening to the right thing. We appreciate your patience with us during some of the technical difficulties we've had with our equipment. Sarah is a case manager for the National Council of Alcoholism and Drug Addiction. Yes. And she works with women with substance abuse and mental health. Do you love your job? I love it. It's rewarding and it's, I mean, it's challenging at times, but it's definitely rewarding. Yeah. I've learned so much from just working with these women. They teach me more, I think, than I teach them. At least I, that's what I, how I feel about it. And it's amazing because you struggled with the same things that they have. I did, yes. And I think that's why I have life experience, and that's what makes it. They know that I've gone through a struggle, and so it gives them hope. When I first got the job there, it was like the first time I was in an interview where I could be myself. I didn't Mm -hmm. have to leave something out, or they accepted me for who I was because of my story and my experience. I mean, you can't walk into a job and be like, I have five felonies, and... I just got out of prison, and right. they're like, that's great. I'm glad you <laughs> Welcome. Yes. Let me start. Literally, my family will tell you, like, I was a brat. I came out of the womb, like, being a ungrateful, spoiled brat. I would bite my cousins. I would tip cereal. I would throw things. I just, I don't know. My family is some of the kindest people you'll ever meet. So I don't know where that came from. I think um, maybe it's some karmic dues that my parents might have had in a past life or something. <laughs> That's what I said. In second grade, I found out I had scoliosis, and which is pretty young to find out that you have severe scoliosis. So by fourth grade, I was in a back brace. Kids are mean and cruel and harsh, and um, they would bully me, you know, they, and I don't think there was a term for it then. Like, I don't think they, you know, it was just like kids being kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always like the last one picked in gym class. And I always said, if I wrote a book, it, book, it would be the last one picked in gym co- mm-hmm. class, the first one out in dodgeball. Cause I had this big brace and I'm like, you know, the ball's coming at me and I'm like, Ugh. so I think growing up, like I just wanted to be accepted right. in any place that I could. I became a chameleon. I even changed schools. I went from a Catholic school. I, I was raised Catholic and went from a Catholic school to the public school. I actually became friends with some some of the popular girls, and so I just kind of did whatever they did. How long did you have the back brace for? I had the back, I wore it for about a year. Um, and then I went to, on to another um, experimental machine. It was called the Scoliatron, where they would hook up electrodes to my back, 
and I would have to sleep with this on. I never, I mean, it didn't work. And every like 15 seconds, it would like zap my back and send like these electrical currents through my back to like kind of like straighten. And oh. my back brace, I was, I was supposed to wear 23 out of 24 hours a day, which that rarely occurred either. So meanwhile, I mean, I was in gymnastics. I was in dance. I tried to keep up with that. But by the time I got to high school, my freshman year, when my scoliosis was so severe that my parents sent me to a specialist, which was in Dallas, Texas. He was at the Children's Hospital. And he told me with, I didn't have back surgery that I would be in a wheelchair by the time I was 18. Wow. My spine was curved almost to a complete S shape. Of course, I didn't want to have that. I had no other choice. So they refinanced their house and I went off to Dallas Children's Hospital at the age of 15. Um, I was on a bed. This is my first ex experience with narcotics. I was on a morphine pump two weeks. So I was on a bed. I had pins to my head, pins on my knees, weights, and this bed rotated back and forth for again, 23 out of 24 hours a day mm. for seven days. They took me and they put a titanium rod in my back mm -hmm. and straightened it out as much as possible. And then I actually grew three inches. So I was five, probably like five, four and a half. And now within a, I mean, eight hour span of that surgery, I was five, eight. Oh my gosh, what? how incredibly painful. Yeah, that's wow. how much they had elongated my spine. Wow. So that was my first experience. I think I started drinking at eighth grade. You know, my friends and I would just like grab a beer from like my, our parents' fridge and just like pass it around like 10 of us and then mm -hmm. pretend, mm -hmm. even just pretending to be drunk or pretending that, you know, I felt like I could be more out. I was more outgoing. Mm. I was prettier. I was this. I was funnier. I grew up in a small town in Ohio. There's not much to do except for going out to street in the middle of nowhere and or the reservoir and you know we each got our six pack and and drank and we drove around like that and just that that's what we did so every weekend I was getting drunk to the point like blackout drunk mm -hmm. then when I finally after graduation and I moved went to college I should have well I can't say should it happens as it's supposed to but I was 17 when I moved away from from home and I went to the first college that accepted me because my grades going to school was all about like what, are she, what is she wearing? What are you doing this weekend? That was what I went to school for, to socialize. And so my grades were horrible. So whatever college I could get into, I went into. So, And after that, it was on. I was There was no one I had to be accountable to. Getting school loans and switching colleges. To this day, I do not have a degree. I'm slowly working on it. You know, that's just how it went for the rest of up to my 20s, through my 20s, and probably about... Until I was 35, 36. 2003, I moved out here um, because I thought that was the way to, you know, I thought maybe change of scenery would mm -hmm. help me, which only made it worse because dad had gotten me an apartment. I was here by myself. I didn't know anybody. So I basically was just here isolating and doing whatever I wanted mm -hmm. to do. So in 2004, I went into my first halfway house treatment facility. I was just drinking. I was so bad that I literally thought I was going to die. I was drinking Listerine because oh it had God. alcohol in it. If I had hand sanitizer, I probably would have drank that because I was shaking. I, you know, I literally mm. thought I was dying. My dad took me to Community Bridges. It was Lark then, which is a detox. And I went there and they, you know, suggested, look, you should go to a halfway house. And I was like, no, I'm not going. 
I have my own apartment, like I don't need to go there. I went home and within a week I was drinking again. I was actually attending treatment through NCADD and I couldn't stay sober. And so they told me, you know, if, if you continue to drink, you can't get services here, we can't help you. You need a higher level of care. So I went to my first halfway house there and it was sunlight of the spirit. During that time I met a, a guy, so we all, you know, everybody makes fun of it in the program. It's like halfway house love, you know, you you meet somebody, they have like 30 days, I had like six months, and we're like going to have this happily ever after thing, Mm -hmm. right? And I had an apartment, so we moved in together right away. He was a meth addict, and I had not even heard of meth. One night, he stole my credit card and was gone for the weekend, took everything out of the account, codependent that I am. He came back, and I instead of kicking him out, I said, you can get high here. Stay here. Don't leave. So you can be safe. Yes. Yeah. I'll take care of you. The next thing I knew, I was using meth. So, And that was in 2008. And that was continued on for, I mean, my first arrest was 2008. That started in 2004. My first arrest was 2008. And that didn't even stop me. He was abusive. I mean, I was just as abusive. Two people uh, using methamphetamines is definitely not a good place to be. Eventually, he actually went to jail. I have not talked to him since probably about 2008. Every once in a while, I check in on him. He's doing really well, so I am happy for that. But he went to prison for about a year, and I continued to use on probation, got another charge. I mean, it wasn't until December 19th of 2012 when I was arrested right over here on Daisy Mountain at the CVS. Me and a girl who was, we were writing prescriptions, fake prescriptions for oxycodone, 30 milligrams, and selling them. We were shopping at the outlets and we got a little greedy. I mean, we were making just a ridiculous amount of money. We got a little greedy, and we decided we were going to go ahead and try and put in a prescription here over at the CVS. I felt it. I felt that intuition, but it it didn't matter. I mean, there's several times when I worked for him during my addiction. He was a big enabler that I stole. Percocet, Mm -hmm. I stole. He knows that. I stole anything I could get my hands on that I knew I could sell to get what I needed. I didn't make my amends to him and it took him a while to like learn how to trust me but at that point like he had trust I had been to federal prison twice by this time this was and also a couple of trips to county I should probably still be in federal prison right now if for the things that I've done but thank you know the universe that I'm not Uh, I went in to go pick it up here I see two Phoenix police come in and I have this big big coach purse it's bright pink. And me and this cop were like dodging each other through the, the oh, wow. way. And I just kind of <laughs> finally just surrendered. And I was just like, I'm not playing this game. Like, there's no way I'm getting out. Did they come up to you and say, are you Sarah Weller? Or you just knew? I just they were knew. Coming I knew it. Yeah, I knew. Wow. You know, like I just, I had a feeling before I went in there. I didn't care though. I will risk wow. my freedom for All whatever. Yeah. Um, I have two. Prior to that, I had a dangerous drug. I got caught with a dangerous drug in paraphernalia. And then I had my federal felony already I was on probation for. Don't mess with the U.S. Postal's mail. They're serious about that when they say don't open the mail. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's what I get. And I I did that out of boredom. I went to county jail for two weeks. They let me out on probation. And needless to say, I thought I had gotten away with it. Like, I was on federal probation. And usually they come and they'll pick you up. They let me out. And my probation officer called me in the next day. She's like, come in. We'll work something out. Maybe you can go to a halfway house. So I was like, yes, I got away with it again. But I walked into that office and then two marshals came in and and took me away. So that was my beginning of my one year stint in federal federal prison. Coming off of meth is just, I mean, what it does is it depletes your dopamine. It depletes your serotonin. It makes your body think that it already has enough. So it it stops making it. Mm. So I slept pretty much the first 30, 60 days. I had no energy. It was, I was depressed. It was just, it was just a hard, hard time. I had kind of given up a little bit. You know, I was like, this is what my life has come to. I remember that my friend had a sponsor and she would call her. Her sponsor would say, okay, I want you to go through the alphabet and write something you're grateful for, starting with the Mm. letter A and then through Z, and if you still, if that your problem's still that big, then we'll talk about it. I started doing that, and that's really, really where that point of the shift began. <coughs> yeah. yeah. Instead of counting sheep, that's what I did at night. The power of gratitude is huge. What beliefs about yourself did you have? I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't, you know, thin enough. I wasn't good enough. I'm not smart. I mean, all of those Enoughs. Enoughs, mm-hmm. yeah. If only I could be this, you know. I blamed my parents for a long time for getting a divorce. I blamed my dad. My dad's gay. I blamed him for a while. I blamed everybody else. It was yeah. everybody else's fault. So it wasn't victim. mine. I have a younger brother. He's total opposite of me. He's very calm, and he finished college, and I'm not like him. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have what these people have. Why can't I have that? If I only had that then I would be okay. They sent me off to California. I was in Victorville prison there. It was like the first time I had been outside in a long time, and it was California. I kind of just started walking. You know, I was like laying out. I was walking. I was just outside. I was walking the track. I had done so much damage to my body running for 10 seconds. I mean, I was like, (gasps) yeah, you know, I could barely even, I thought I was going to pass out. And but I mean, I was like, oh, I have a whole year. <laughs> I could really do something. <laughs> well, I did. And I set that goal. I tra- I said, by the time I get out of here, I'm going to run the ma- um, rock and roll marathon because I'll get out in December. It's in January. That's actually the first goal that I ever set and I actually achieved. So I think that's where also another shift started because yeah. I knew that if I put my mind to something, like I could do something. And then the self-confidence started to come back. I'm grateful for that experience. I had everything I, you know, I possibly could want because I manipulated my dad for a long time. He was an enabler. So when you go from a closet full of clothes to a box of clothes, only, you know, specific things that you can have, it kind of humbles you a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Somebody, you know, I thought I was like, look at me, look at me, don't you know who I am? to being a scared girl, prison. My thought of prison was like, you know, these big, yeah, scary ladies, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so for sure, I thought I was going to be somebody's bitch. It's the first time I ever saw somebody, a woman with a beard, for sure. Wow. So (laughs) that's like, (laughs) I won't be your bitch, though. (laughs) 
<laughs> How many of you somebody's it won't be yours? I'll comb it for you. I know. Uh, can I tweeze that? Tweezers? I mean, you, you get creative. Like, so then what happened when you got out? How did you connect to source? How did you remember that so gratitude? It just became a habit almost, you know, when I was in there. When I got out, I had two warrants still for two prescriptions that they had found while I was in federal prison. I actually ended up being flown home by the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. They came and picked me up, flew me on a civilian plane. I believe it was U.S. Air. I had my prison grays on, which they call, like, you know, your sweats. They had put me in a pretty i think it was like a 3x like 1970s softball coach looking windbreaker because my hands were in the pockets to hide the handcuffs that i had on and people knew i mean yeah so i mean people knew and then i saw these people looking at me and i was like you don't even know me so i you know you're looking at me like i just like cut up my boyfriend and like Mm -hmm. had him for dinner so i just gave him like crazy look back you know i was just looking at him crazy i'm like (laughs) (laughs) Hannibal Lecter style, you know, like biting at him, growling. <laughs> that moment, like I had no shoes, you know, I wasn't allowed no to shoestrings. Shoestrings, because you was, might like strangle yourself. I guess. Or somebody. I don't know. <laughs> they took me to Maricopa County to, downtown and booked me. They let me go because of the fact that I had just done a year mm. in federal prison. So they let me go, and I'm standing outside and waiting for my ride. And they come back out, and they were like, "Can I see your paperwork?" I said, "Sure." They looked at it, and they were like, "Oh." We must have made a mistake. So I was oh like, my gosh. So my first thought is like, go. So I did. I'm walking and all of a sudden here come Maricopa County Sheriff's to get me again. I had two charges. They had only booked me through once. Went through that whole cycle again. I went to my first meeting with my public defender. And my first offer was five years. And I just started bawling. Yeah. And I was, she was like, what? You don't want probation? And I was like, no, I cannot do prison time again. I had missed, my nephew was born, so I missed his first Christmas. I had missed his, you know, I just missed a lot. Judge let me go, go home to Ohio to visit my family. I hadn't seen them in years because I didn't want to go back when I was using. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have any drugs, first of all. <laughs> it was all about the drugs. I wouldn't have my drugs. I wouldn't, I would be coming down, you know, I would mm-hmm. be withdrawing. And so I never went to see them. So it was the first time I had spent Christmas with my family in a at probably like five, six years. So he let me go. I came back and thank God, I am so grateful for my public attorney. She was new. She was from San Diego. So she was just like, this is what we're going to do. I want you to go to a halfway house, get a job, get letters, whatever you can do. We're going to have the judge sentence you. So it's totally up to the judge what he wants to do. I did all of that. And that's where I got my job. The qualifications were just having a year sober and some life yeah. experience. Right. So oh, yeah. You definitely have that. I qualified for that. How so long have you been there with them now? It'll be four years in January. So what are the beliefs that you have about yourself now? I am starting to accept myself for who I am, like radical acceptance. People say, you know, oh, I accept this, I accept that. But, I, you know, I used to say that all the time. But I think fully accepting who I am Mm -hmm. for me, take it or leave it. I've tried to change that part of me and it's just not happening. It's just, it's just written in my, my DNA. So I think fully accepting and knowing that I'm worthy of love 
And that's tough. You know, that's a tough one to say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it took me a long time to look in the mirror and be like, oh, you're pretty. I think the first thing was actually when I accomplished and, yeah. and ran that marathon, that self-confidence, like... I can do something. Mm-hmm. I started boxing. I wasn't lifting weights yet because yeah. I was like, oh, I'm strong. I just ran a marathon. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, the first time he had me do a squat, I was like, oh, oh okay, never mind. Can you get back up? <laughs> can you help me up, please? He's like, oh, that's not even correct. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> are you looking? You look like a frog. Like, he, he, he's. Yeah, I started boxing, you know, and it was out of my comfort zone. And I was like, this is weird. You know, I don't know if I want to do this, but I just kept going. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying like I am ready to like go in the ring or anything like that. <laughs> but I, you know, I learned that if you keep doing something, I was always the one that just gave up. But I just kept doing it, you know, and I my ankles were <clears throat> probably the same size as my thighs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I had no butt at all. And I was like, well, I want my thighs bigger than my ankles and maybe <laughs> a bigger butt. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, all right. I was so scared to get under the bar, just the Mm -hmm. bar, you know, and now it's like lightweight to me. He taught me so much that I took from just lifting in the gym to, and I applied that in my everyday life. I challenged myself to step out of my comfort zone because that's where the growth is. And I know that now. I didn't know that then. It was just something that I, through this process, that I learned. It seems like exercise or just physical activity was your saving grace. Uh Um, It's like my go-to. Like it, I think because when I, where I was at that point at rock bottom, and that's what I conditioned myself to do. But I think, you know, in general, I think fitness or any type of exercise is good, especially with people who are withdrawing because of the lack of, serotonin Serotonin and dopamine Mm -hmm. and so it's just thank god through this process i've connected with some women that whole the whole manifestation thing i know we've talked about it like but lately i really really have been seeing that my tribe has come together i'm such a visual person i used to go to aa meetings the program did what it did for me um i truly believe that constantly telling myself that I'm an addict kind of keeps me sick. Sorry for those who are in the AA program, but not everything doesn't work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had some experiences with people who have had 30 years of sobriety and are in the program. They are looked up to and, and behind doors, they're completely opposite. They don't follow the 12 steps or, Mm. and if you look at any self-help or Mm -hmm. or motivational guru or whatever you want to talk call them they all follow pretty much the same path but I was tired of calling myself an addict right. you know I was tired of staying sick because that's what it to me that's what it mm-hmm. did I actually you know started to do a little reading and affirmations mm. I think the affirmations are probably my go-to I started with uh Louise Hayes uh-huh. um love yourself guided meditation uh-huh. um which is just full of like affirmations it was a 30-day thing that you listen to at night and her voice is so calming anyway yeah. so even after I had run the marathon I started lifting weights to so look at myself straight in the eye directly yeah. and be like oh girl you look good you know yeah. it took me a while yeah. but when you start talking about the same things like-minded people start coming oh, yeah. to you so we'll track them and thank god they're women <laughs> we're kind <laughs> of a big deal I, I, yeah I know <laughs> like shit I want wanted love you know I don't know what if my parents gave me love you know I don't know what it was that I was looking 
you looked at me the right way and I was sleeping with you. Yeah. You know, I was the walk of shame queen. It's part of my story, but a couple of drinks and you look, you look hot <laughs> <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> the next morning I'm like, oh, the I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta go. And that might be another podcast. <laughs> yes, it's a whole different story. Like <laughs> mascara, doesn't, I didn't give a fuck. One shoe on, like I'm out. <laughs> but that happens often, you know, right. I, was, I didn't care. I had no self-worth. Right. I had no, it didn't matter. And I had come to a point in my life where I was like, this is what I'm going to be for the rest of my mm. life. So fuck it. Let's go. And I still find that like, I still kind of search for that in relationships. I mean, I'm learning with every relationship. Yeah. I learn something about myself all the time. And that's what I love too, is the awareness. You know, it's like that kind of connection where you yeah. just, we all you know, know each other. Yeah. Yeah. We're but what's sisters. funny is like, it was like a 180 because there was that CVS the first time I pulled up to mm. Daisy Mountain. I couldn't remember the name of that CVS. And there it was. Full I was circle. Like, That's the CVS that I got arrested in. And mm. here I'm coming to do something totally different with my life. So I knew like this is. That's just a sign. I didn't know then. There's always something that we're trying to fill. And I, I don't know where if we get it from. Definitely mine was from, you know, the kids around there. Like, I that I wasn't worth it. I didn't feel worthy. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't accepted. Especially now. Like, I would not want to be a kid growing mm-hmm. up. Now there's so much pressure to be this and this and this. Mm-hmm. If you are struggling with anything, it doesn't even have to be shopping. Mm -hmm. is an addiction you know it doesn't have to be like super toxic in order to move forward you have to figure out where that is coming from Mm -hmm. you know where is that void and why Mm -hmm. so what do you want to do to change the world what's your purpose oh my gosh I think just to be kind and loving I think if you just walk down the street and smile at a stranger because you never know you're so good at that. What, yeah. what they're going through. You yeah. never know. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a past. And that has really become relevant, I think, within the last, gosh, couple months, you know, with a relationship. You know, I have to remember that there are things that people have going on. You know, there's life experiences that they have shut down or um, they're numbing in some of their own type of way or And I have to forgive them, you know? I have Mm. to know that everybody has a story. They have their purpose for being the way they they are, for shutting down or emotionally, physically, whatever they do. They always have a reason, something behind there. So the first day that I met you, we were actually at the airport together. And I knew you were amazing and wonderful because Carrie said so. And I believe her. (laughs) And I'm always right. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So we were going through security and you started making friends with the guard, and you guys started bantering back and forth and laughing, and I was like, oh, yes. This is amazing. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is my girl. <laughs> like, we got this. This is going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I knew that, like, this is exactly who I want to spend seven days with. My grandma, my dad's mom, she was the nicest lady. Like, she never, ju- she was Catholic, um, so we, she never yelled at us or anything. She, we always knew, though, when we were in trouble, because she'd be in her bedroom praying over her rosary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who did it? Who's fault? You know, I'm spraying you guys. She, Hi. And I think that's where I get it from. You know, she taught me that, and my dad is the same way. And I think that's why it was so hard for him because, like I said, he was my biggest enabler. You know, and he helps so many people from his pharmacy. You know, everybody that comes in there, they love him. And I just think that 
that's where I've learned that nobody is different. Like I've never been taught that somebody, you know, a CEO is any better than a janitor. Somewhere along the line, though, I thought that I was less than society or whatever. Yeah, I love people. People are fun. One day I was like, I wish I was uh, sociology some kind of like research. I want to go down and like hang out with all the homeless people and mm-hmm. just see how they live. It's got to be their own little culture population. Microcosm. You know? Maybe yeah. that could be something you do in the future. Maybe. Oh, Sarah, it was so amazing talking to you. This was so beautiful that you were willing to share your story. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. We do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> Are you playing footsie with me? Zoolander. Uh, we could talk forever. I know. So I didn't want we to gotta wrap it up. I know. So we need to do part two, right? Yes, part yes. two. Dun, 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 dun. Stay tuned. But but we do have our banana challenge, which we will be putting on YouTube. So if somebody wants to watch that <laughs> Go check it's out our YouTube channel. I have the a, same idea it's worth project. It. It's worth it. We are going to do the banana challenge with Sarah. I, do they know what the banana challenge is? They don't. They're going to know. And they will. I have a, a it's couple be of friends know because I've been challenged not only by you, Summer, mm-hmm. but by two other friends. I don't know if they must think that what? I have. Tight, but How I'm does yeah. somebody else know this? I don't know. But it's okay. going to now. But we're going to gonna gonna make it right. legendary. All right. So, so we're going to see who wins the banana challenge. It could be Sarah. <laughs> it will be me. It could be Carrie. <laughs> I got Bunza still. Oh. She does actually. But you know what? I can be like the best of them. <laughs> Who's got the like, What the hell are you doing with the banana? Okay. Who's got the egg? You have to watch the video to see. <laughs> that takes finesse. You're you're but you dynamic. All right. So, <laughs> part. Wrap it up and we're gonna go to our banana challenge. Check yes. it out on our YouTube channel. We love you guys. We love you, Sarah. Yes, we love, love you. you. Say my name, say my name. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And now for some outtakes. This is the Say My Name project. This is Say My Name. This is the Summer and Carrie show. Oh, that was really that was, that was really good. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> I told you I said. Okay, should we should we record our Sarah? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Never mind about that. They don't even know why we're singing that. Okay. Well, this is why we're singing it, Sarah. First, before we sing it. All right. This is Sarah Roller. We are so incredibly excited and thrilled and appreciative to have you on our podcast and on our video because you're amazing.